servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and will be given to him. And let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in the trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is Lord and enticed by his own desires. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, wonderful to see you at church uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Huey. For those uh, of, of us uh, uh, who may be new uh, with us this morning, and uh, I'm uh, the minister here at uh, Church of Nine. Uh, let me uh, uh, welcome, especially this morning, those of you who are parents. Uh, well done for uh, getting through the last three or also months homeschooling and, and things like that. I know it hasn't been easy for you, but uh, great that uh, many of you can be here joining us uh, and also if you're at home. Uh, also wonderful this morning seeing uh, the children uh, running around and, and uh, happy to see each other at church. Uh, so that, that's fantastic. Uh, well, we're going to begin a new series uh, in the book of James this morning, so it'd be great if you could have James open in front of you. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And uh, we'll have a look at uh, this part of God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness towards us. Uh, thank you that you are a God who speaks. Uh, thank you that you have caused your word uh, to be written down uh, in the scriptures. Uh, and we thank you for uh, those in the past uh, who have stood uh, for the gospel that you have passed down to us. And uh, we pray now that as we do open up your word together, uh, that you would be with us. Uh, help us to be rid of any distractions in our minds. Uh, and please help us to see the truth of your word so that we might live our lives uh, with great joy, uh, trusting you as our good and generous God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
friends, I don't know how far you have run before. Uh, I know there are some of uh, some runners among us here this morning, but uh, I have a friend who runs ultra marathons for a living. Uh, you know, these are those crazy people who enter races where they sometimes run for over a hundred kilometers at a time. And uh, this friend tells me that sometimes in ultra marathon races. What happens is that the body takes such a beating uh, from uh, the elements and from the race itself that it starts to do some strange things. Uh, one of those strange things is that runners can start to get blurry vision. Uh, they can start to even hallucinate towards the end of the race and get a distorted sense of reality. Now, uh, I want to suggest that this is a little bit like what can happen spiritually when we go through times of trial, times of hardship in our lives. Now, what I mean by that is that when we go through times when, you know, we get a beating out of life, um, we often can get blurry spiritual vision so that our vision of God can be distorted. Now, perhaps we might see God as being cruel to us during those times, for example. Perhaps we might see God as paying us back for wrong things that we've done in the past. Perhaps we might see God as angry towards us. But whatever the case may be, uh, it's easy for our view of God to become blurry and distorted. Is that true? Well, this morning, uh, as I said, we're beginning a new series on the letter of James. James, uh, you might know, uh, was the half-brother of Jesus himself, who, astonishingly, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, put his faith in his own brother as the Lord and Christ, before going on to become one of the main leaders in the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, but if you have a look at uh, the letter of James there uh, in, in your Bibles, uh, you can see there in verse 1 that this is a letter written by James to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That is, uh, this is a letter that is written to Jewish Christians who were dispersed or scattered throughout the Roman world because of the persecution uh, against Christians that had broken out in the church in Jerusalem, or in, Jeru in the city of Jeru Jerusalem, rather, which you can read about in Acts chapter 7, for example. And so it's no surprise that James begins his letter with the theme of trials in life. For the recipients of this letter were Christians who were persecuted and going through many trials and tribulations and difficulties in their in their lives. Now, you can see that this is the overarching theme uh, in the beginning part of uh, the letter because James mentions trials at, at the beginning as well as the, towards the end of the passage. Uh, in verse 2, you can see there that he mentions trials of various kinds. I see it again in verse 12 where he speaks about the person who remains steadfast under trial. Uh, you see, James writes this letter to people who are going through various different trials in life, and he wants them to, 
He wants to encourage them to have a proper vision of God during those times. And we go through trials of various kinds, don't we? Uh, some of us are facing serious illness, even as I speak. Uh, others of us are going through periods of intense loneliness. Others are facing relational difficulties, whether it be in the home or in the workplace. Others are facing financial stress. Still, others of us are grieving uh, the loss of loved ones. See, trials and hardships come in various forms. But the question is, how do you and I view God when we go through such times? Do we have a blurry vision of God? Or do we see Him clearly as He is? Uh, well, the first thing that James wants us to see in our passage this morning is that when God sends trials and hardships into our lives, He does it with a generous purpose in mind. A generous purpose in mind. What is that generous purpose? Well, ultimately, it is to grow us in Christian maturity. And so you can see there, if you have a look in verse 3, that uh, James says, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, when God sends trials and hardships into our lives, He's doing it to test our faith so that we might learn steadfastness and endurance and stickability in our faith, even through these difficult times. Why? Well, ultimately, it's because God's generous purpose for our lives is to grow us to be more and more like Jesus, who was steadfast in trusting God, even through the most intense trials, as he head towards the cross. And that's why in verse 4, James says that the purpose of all this is that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Uh, now, friends, when you and I hear the word perfect, uh, we usually think of, for example, getting 10 out of 10 in an exam, don't we? Especially for those Asians among us. Uh, that's immediately what we think of. And so it sounds as though James is talking about being 10 out of 10 morally here. But the word perfect here is not used in that sense. Rather, it's talking about being mature. It's talking about being complete and, and whole as a person. That's what God is doing when He sends trials and hardships into our lives. He's growing us in maturity, growing us in completeness and wholeness. Now, I don't know if they still have this, but uh, many years ago, uh, IKEA used to have this display in their stores. Uh, some of you may have seen this, where they put a, one of their chairs in a big glass cabinet. Has anyone seen that before? Yeah, a few of us who shop at IKEA. Um, and in that glass cage, there's this big mechanical arm that just kind of keeps on pounding the chair again and again and again. Uh, the message by IKEA was simple. Uh, this chair has been pounded again and again and again and put through stress and tested rigorously in order to produce a wonderful final product. 
sort of what is being said here, isn't it? James says, you know those times when you feel like you're getting a beating out of life? Well, God always has a good purpose for you in sending those times of trial. Trials and suffering in your life are never wasted by God. They are always there in order to grow you in steadfastness of faith, in endurance, in stickability with God, and ultimately because God wants you to reach Christian maturity. Because He wants to see the finished product to be more than like Jesus. That's why James can say uh, in verse 2 that we ought to consider it a joy even when we go through times of trials and difficulty in life. In some sense, it sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it, to say to people who are suffering to be joyful, doesn't it? But it's not that we are to find joy in the fact of suffering. No one enjoys going through suffering. But it's because even through trials, and hardships and tribulations, you and I can know that God is generously at work in our lives, shaping us, molding us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, we can find deep joy. However, friends, it's not always easy to see things that way, is it? You know, I'm guessing that when you and I go through trials and difficulties in life, it's not easy to um, think differently of God. You know, God is cruel or unjust or paying us back for past wrongs. And so, you know, I just feel very stuck here rather than serving God joyfully in my life. It's hard to see things as a glory when we go through suffering and trials. So that's why if you read on, uh, you can see that James encourages us to pray for wisdom. Uh, In verse 5 he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God to give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In other words, wisdom in the Bible is not about intelligence. That's how our world thinks about wisdom. The wise people in our world are considered to be the intelligent ones. But wisdom in the Bible is the ability to see things God's way. And in particular, to see that God sends trials and hardships into our lives in order to grow us in Christian maturity. And God says, when you go through times of trial and hardship, what you need most of all is wisdom from God. I was reflecting this week whether this is the way I think about things when I go through trials or difficulties in life. Or do I immediately think that what I need most of all is wisdom? Um, and I must say, um, I don't actually think like that very much. I think it's very easy for me to ask God to remove the trial or the difficulty from my life because I want the suffering to end, which is not necessarily a wrong thing to do. 
that's what I need more, is to ask God for wisdom, to know that even in the midst of trials, He's at work in my life. He has a generous purpose for my life. He's growing me, refining me, helping me to be more like the Lord Jesus. And to know that God has promised that He will not hold back what He's good for us. However, there is a caveat here, isn't there? Uh, for you can see there in verse 6 that it is the person who asks with faith who will be the one who receives wisdom from God. But the one who doubts, James says in verse 7, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, that poses a problem for us, doesn't it? Because if we're honest, I think that especially when we go through times of trials and hardships, uh, it's easy for us to have moments when we can doubt God, doubt His goodness towards us. I wonder whether that's true for you as well. But friends, I don't think James here is talking about you know, having moments of doubt as we go through trials and, and difficulty from time to time. Rather, you can see there in verse 8 that what he is really talking about here is the person who he describes as double-minded. Double-minded. Literally, the Greek word here is two-souled. In other words, he's talking about the person who gives his soul to God on a Sunday, but gives his soul to the world from Monday to Saturday. He's talking about the person who worships God one minute, but worships things in the world the next. He's the sort of person who hedges his bets with God, so that he's up and down, up and down spiritually, like a wave of the sea, says James. Up in his commitment to God one moment, but down in his commitment to God the next, and living no differently to the rest of the world. Are you and I double-minded, friends? Are you unstable in your Christian life? Are you trying to have a bet each way with God and the world so that you want a bit of God for the good things that He offers and a bit of the world as well, which you've given your heart to? But if you are, then do not expect to receive anything from the Lord, says James, especially the gift of wisdom. For the gift of wisdom is for those who fear God and who are committed to living His way, according to the book of Proverbs. And those who are like this towards God are the ones who can expect to receive generously from Him. Well, we've seen that God has generous purposes in sending trials and hardships to His people. But in the next few verses, James encourages us to see that God has a generous future for his people, even beyond the trial. And you can see there in verse 9 that James speaks of the exalted state of God's people in God's sight. Uh, but if you have a look a few verses down at verse 12, you can see that he also says that those who remain steadfast through trials will receive the blessing of the crown of life. But friends, 
why does James speak about the rich and poor gift? Now, you might have noticed that in verse 8, he speaks about the lonely brother, who I take it is a reference to those who are poor or economically poor. And in verse 10, he speaks about those who are rich. But what is the theme of uh, rich and poor? has to do with what James has been talking about uh, with trials. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, I think James here is writing to persecuted Jewish Christians who were scattered around the Roman world in the first century. And so it makes sense that the people James is writing to are the economically poor who have been persecuted by others and taken advantage of, especially by the rich, by the rich pagans around them. And so if you have your Bibles there, uh, turn with me, for example, to chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. Um, a little way into chapter 2, verse 6, you can see there that James says, uh, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And later on in chapter 5, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, uh, he addresses uh, rich unbelievers as those who have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. And he addresses them as those who are heading towards God's judgment in hell. In other words, it's not that James here is saying that you can't, that it's not that James is saying that you cannot be a Christian and rich at the same time. Now, you know, most of us are, are, are rich in this world, aren't we? But what James is saying to the poor, persecuted Christians that he is writing to is that in their trials, they are to see the reality that in Christ they have been given an exalted status before God and they have a glorious future that awaits them. And so they are not to look at their rich, unbelieving neighbors and think that if I can just be like them, then all my problems will be solved. Why? Well, it's because in the future, rich unbelievers will be humiliated before God and will amount to nothing. Notice that James says in verse 10 that rich unbelievers are like, you know, that beautiful flower that you see in your neighbor's garden. They are there one day looking very impressive and beautiful, but then they will wilt and die and ultimately be scorched by the sun, which is a reference, I think, to God's judgment. It's often very easy for us to think when we face trials of various kinds that money and wealth and riches will solve all our problems, isn't it? Often we can look at our wealthy, unbelieving friends who seem to have the wealth to live a life of ease and think to ourselves, if only I can be like them. If only I can have that kind of life, then my life will be so much better. But here I am facing various trials and difficulties and hardships in my life and 
trying to be faithful in serving God? And will it all be worthwhile in the end, we think to ourselves? And God says, absolutely. If you are in Christ, you are exalted in God's eyes. If you are in Christ, you are blessed beyond imagination. If you are in Christ, you will receive the crown of life. And so don't be deceived by thinking that walking away from God and pursuing money and riches and wealth will solve all your problems. Not only do the wealthy face their own trials in life, for money is no insurance against sickness and injustice and relationship problems and death and whatever other trials are out there. But in the end, those who are wealthy and without God will face destruction and humiliation. And so do not pine for that, my brothers and sisters. Well, uh, we've seen that even through trials, God has a generous purpose for His people. We've seen that even through trials, God has a generous future for His people. But in the final part of our passage this morning, we see that even through trials, God is a generous giver of gifts to His people. However, I want you to notice in our passage that one thing that this generous giver of gifts never gives to His people is temptation. Yes, God is the one who gives us uh, external trials or external circumstances that, that produce the trials, but He never gives us temptation as if He is trying to lure us into sin. And sometimes when we go through trials in life, we can tend to blame God. We can tend to think that God is tempting us, tempting me, and therefore I have no other option but to sin. For example, if I am lonely, I can think that God has given me no choice but to marry uh, the non-Christian person or commit adultery in my life. Or if I am suffering financial hardship, well, God has given me no choice but to gamble to make a quick buck or or to forget God in my pursuit of money. Or if my life has not turned out the way I wanted it to, then God has given me no choice but to be stuck in my situation so that I refuse to serve God in my life. But what does the passage say? Well, you can see there in verse 13 that it says that God does not tempt anyone. Rather, in verse 14, we are tempted when our own sinful desires take us further and further away from God. But the picture that we, we are given there is of a, of a fish being lured and enticed to its death by a big juicy worm. And it's not God that's doing the enticing and the luring. It's our sinful desires that want to choose evil over God. And what happens when our sinful desires are left unchecked? Well, we will fall into sin. And without repentance, sin will undoubtedly lead us to death and separation from God. In verse 15, James 
is then desire, sinful desire, when it is when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That is the When you and I go through trials and hardships in life, we cannot blame God as though He is tempting us and setting us up to failure. We cannot blame God if we choose to sin rather than choose to trust God through the suffering. That's why James says in verse 16, not to be deceived. For the biggest deception that can happen when we go through times of trial is that we get a blurry vision and we see God as evil, wanting to lure us away rather than someone who is good and generous in his purposes towards us. God is not a God who is evil towards you, friends. But God is a generous God. I love verse 17, which says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, the last part of that verse is very important because it's saying that God is not like you know the lights in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, that change every time you look up there. But God does not change. He is always and consistently generous to us, whether in times of trial or whether in times of plenty. He is the one who gives wisdom. He is the one who gives strength to say no to sin. He is the one who gives you friends to help you through the tough times. He is always generous in what he gives to his people. But here's the thing, friends. The greatest proof that God is generous towards you and me as his people is that he has given us new birth in the gospel. He has given us new birth through the word of truth. And he has given us a life, a brand new life that starts now that will endure through all the eternity in creation. Now, recently, my youngest daughter, Naomi, celebrated her ninth birthday. She was very excited that uh, after lockdown, some of her friends could come over and they could play together. And she was very excited to receive many gifts. But there was one gift that was the greatest of all gifts. It was a very expensive Lego set that she received from her grandparents. And after she spent hours and hours putting this Lego set together, I think it was a school or something, with a bus and you know, things like that, uh, she put it in a very prominent place in her room, just to say, you know, this is the greatest gift of all. Uh, that's sort of what's going on here in our passage, I think. God is a generous giver. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. But the greatest gift that he has given to us is new birth through the gospel of our Lord Jesus and the sure promise of life in the new creation. And James says in verse 18, Of his own will, he brought us forth. He gave us new birth 
by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How do you know that God is good and generous towards you? Well, it's because in the word of truth, you know that Jesus loves you and has given his life for you, that you might have new birth, a new life, a new future in God's new creation. And so even through times of trials and hardships, you can know that God is generous, is kind. That's the best in mind for you. Now, I don't know everything that is happening uh, in your life at the moment, uh, but I suspect that some of us are going through trials of various kinds. If you are, do you remember that God is lavish, generous towards you? We pray that God will generously give you the wisdom to rejoice, even through trials and hardships, because we know that God is present with you and working in your life to grow in Christian maturity. Will you remember that God has a generous future for you on that last day when He will give you the crown of life itself? And will you remain steadfast in your faith, knowing that in the gospel you are loved by God and have been given new birth and the sure promise of a day when there will be no trials, hardships, difficulties, tribulations? Thank you so much for your word to us this morning and the reminder of your goodness and generosity towards us. And we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from your generous hand. And we thank you especially for the gift of new birth that we have through your word of truth. And Father, we pray especially through times of trials and hardships and difficulties uh, which some of us may be facing now or one day will face, that you will help us to see your generous nature towards us. Give us the wisdom to see that even through trials and very difficult situations in life, that you are generously molding us to be steadfast in our faith like our Lord Jesus. Give us the wisdom to see beyond the immediate suffering to the generous future that you have in store for us. And give us the wisdom to see your generous nature towards us in the gospel, that we might live joyfully and with great endurance and steadfastness of faith, even through the rock times. We will pray these things.